This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today you're listening to episode 258 and I'm talking with Ashley Keller. You are getting a surprise Tuesday episode. I just couldn't stay away till Friday. I'm actually going to do a couple Tuesday everyday athlete type episodes. I know I've been focusing a lot on the pros lately and so I wanted to bring some other stories your way as well. Ashley and I actually recorded this in March and I had some audio issues that I was working on fixing. I had to bounce it back and forth with someone a couple times because I recorded in a location that I don't normally record. And so we've got it squared away and figured out and I'm excited to bring you this episode. Ashley is the mother of three. She is a West Point grad and served our country in Afghanistan. Her husband also serves in the army and she has been through eight deployments with him being gone. She is a world champion half Ironman athlete And in this episode, we get to hear all about that. She actually had a pretty intense bike crash during a triathlon between babies two and three. So before she had her third child, and it's a pretty crazy story that she recounts in this episode. Ashley is also a personal trainer. She runs the company Glowbody PT. She is certified as a personal trainer for pre and postnatal exercise. And she actually has a ton of free prenatal workouts on her YouTube channel. You guys can find more about Ashley when you go to glowbodypt.com. And she's glowbodypt on Instagram as well. All right, friends. This episode is sponsored by the 50 States Virtual Challenge. I am so excited about this virtual challenge. One reason I'm excited is because this is a virtual challenge that you not only can run, you can walk, you can hike, you can swim, you can bike. There are multiple ways for completing this challenge, which I think is really cool because, well, first of all, I hurt my foot, so I'm going to start off by biking. But you can track your activities and use any of those cross-training methods as well as running to complete the distance. Okay, here's what happens. You have an entire year. For the 50 States Challenge in particular, it's 1,275 miles. So you complete an activity, you track your distance, and you watch your map of the United States fill up. You have one full year to go about 3.5 miles per day. So that averages out to 24.5 miles a week. Now, if that's too much for you, they have the 13 States Challenge, which is 91 miles for the entire year. And then they also have the Gump Challenge. So if you're thinking 1,275 miles, that's no big deal for me. Check out the Gump Challenge. It's 3,009 miles for the whole year. Now I created a group for this challenge. It's called All Have Another. And I already signed up myself. So make sure if you sign up and you join me for this year long progress, you join my team, I'll have another. And then you guys can save $5 off of your registration for the 50 States Challenge, 
the 13 States Challenge, which is 91 miles, or the Gump Challenge, which is 3,009 miles. So you can save $5 off your registration of any of those challenges when you use the code LINDSAY5. So the virtual challenge starts on Tuesday, July 28th. So you can start logging those miles on July 28th and you have the entire year. Make sure you check out the challenge when you go to 50statesvirtualchallenge.com. Again, use that code LINDSAY5 to get $5 off your registration. Okay, I hope that you all join me. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, friends, if you enjoy this episode, consider leaving us a rating and review. It's one of the best ways potential new listeners can find us. Enjoy my conversation with Ashley Keller. Well, today on the podcast, we have Ashley Keller on the show. Welcome to the podcast, Ashley. Thanks so much for having me, Lindsay. How are you? How are you holding up over there? Doing great. We are all quarantined, so three kids are home and making the best with what we have. The house is getting a little crazy, messier than I'm used to, but we're rolling with it. Okay, remind me, how old are your kids and what are the genders? I have a six-year-old and four-year-old, both boys, and they play really well together. Um, They're actually great at self-entertaining. Six-year-old teaches the four-year-old a lot. And then I have a one-year-old baby girl, and she is definitely demanding at this age. Can't talk yet, Um, you know, more than a couple words, and um, lots of screaming and crying on that end. So she keeps me quite busy. Yeah, that's a really, it's so tough when it's like they know what they want, but they can't yet. You just want to say, just use, use your words. Talk to me. It's yeah. so, it's so challenging. <laughs> yeah. My, uh, my second was a very late talker and he's five now and he's actually still in speech. And I remember that being really hard because it was up until, you know, like three when he was really, really saying words and full sentences. And I just remember being so frustrated because, you know, he knows what he wants, but getting the words out was always really challenging for him. So, yeah. So Claire Dietrich, who was honestly one of my early, early guests on the podcast, I think she was in the thirties on the episodes. She's definitely 2016 that I interviewed her. So I can't believe it's been four years, but you know, she's been recommending me to have you on as a guest for years. I don't know if you know that. No, I didn't know that. That is so sweet. I love Claire. Yeah, because and and we've recently connected and we're going to we're like, we're going to make this happen. But long story short, Michelle Gonzalez, who also went to West Point, she's the one who recommended I have Claire on back in the day. And then Claire went to West Point with you and then she Uh she recommended you. But, you know, the first time she recommended you was right around the time that you had your really bad bike crash. Mm hmm. And (laughs) I don't remember if we communicated or not, but it just like wasn't the right time for you. So I can imagine. Yeah, (laughs) I feel like this is perfect that it's happening now. And you're so far removed from that situation and probably feel a little bit more emotionally uh, ready to talk about it. But I'd love to share with the listeners a little bit about you. We're talking with a West Point grad, someone who has served our country. First, I'll just say thank you for that. Oh, thanks, Lindsay. Um, talk to us about growing up and why you decided to go to West Point. I um, was a runner, so I was recruited for them. And when I was in high school and didn't even know what the military academy was, 
Um, but once I visited West Point, out of all the colleges that I visited, that was, I was drawn to it because it was this immense challenge that I didn't know if I could do. And I was really attracted um, to just seeing if I could make it or not being, um, I think it was 10% women when I went through it at the time. It was very academically rigorous above my level, probably um, somehow managed to get there. And I knew that I wanted to serve in some capacity at some point in my life. So I thought, hey, why not just get a guaranteed job when I get out? I'll serve in the military for five years at, at a minimum. And if I like it, great. And if not, well, then I've served my country and I can move on. So I decided to go there after, um, yeah, after just concerning my options and really glad I did. Yeah. And you're in, did you meet your husband while you were at West Point? I did. He was actually my next door neighbor when I was a freshman and he was a junior and you're not allowed to date upperclassmen, let alone talk to them, um, <laughs> flirt, any of that. So I had a huge crush on my now husband for a good, uh, good year and a half before he even spoke to me. <laughs> <laughs> Did he? How did it come about, though? I think uh, he actually asked my roommate and I to see if he could help us out one time, drive us to a, a mutual friend's dinner. We were on uh, a triathlon. It was a triathlon friend of mine. She was having a, a birthday, and it was a way, I think, to just get us out both out. I think he thought we were both cute, and then um, pretty sure I threatened my roommate not to come. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, she actually... She, she, she was like, no, I can't take this from you. So we went out, we went out to dinner and, um, yeah, we pretty much started dating right after that. Okay. Well, and your husband, so your husband still serves in the military, but he's home now, correct? Yes, that's correct. He's been home since last, um, Easter actually. So this is the longest span of time pretty much that he's been home and not deployed in about eight years that we've had together. Wow. When does, do you know when he'll, uh, be called to leave again? We're looking at this summer. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Well, one of the things that Claire mentioned to me was that he was actually deployed when your third was eight weeks old. And man, that transition from two to three kids is tough. I can't imagine being in that position and my husband being deployed. How did you, how are you a mentally strong person? Like, how do you walk through times like that? <laughs> not necessarily. Um, I'd lean on God. Definitely not me. Um, but no, deployments are really hard. I can't say that just because we've been through, let's see, eight deployments. It doesn't get any easier. So people will say things like, oh, you must be used to it or this is easy for you. But I think um, anybody that has is a military spouse or even spouses of maybe contract workers or other jobs, public service jobs that pull spouses away, you understand it doesn't really get easier, but you do find ways to cope and you definitely find your tribe of women to um, lean on and to just go through life together to, you know, support raising kids when emergencies happen and you're on your own without your spouse or family nearby. Yeah. You know, my sister whose house I'm at right now, her husband's a contract worker. He's um, I, actually, I should know this. I think he's in Afghanistan right now. I'm not positive though. Um, but yeah, she's here and he's overseas and she's got her three kids. So she's definitely lived a lot of that, that kind of life. And I've kind of watched her do that. Um, so let's walk back though, to when you're in college at West Point, I know you were recruited to run there, but then you got into triathlon and you were really good. So talk about that experience in your life. 
I um, really want to take it to, I want to see if I can compete at the national level um, as a young woman. And um, that led me to a terrible eating disorder. I was anorexic for years as a teenager and just struggled with thinking that, of course, you know, the more I could restrict my food, surely the faster I'll be. And I think we both know that cycle isn't necessarily successful. So that led to amenorrhea, not having my period for many years, hospitalization, um, feeding tubes at a children's hospital, the state next door at a premier hospital. And I was not getting any faster. I, things were just going downhill. I was restricted from running altogether. Still love running. I will always re- love running. And then um, I just, you know, you can have a self-assessment when you know you're actually not going to run at the national level as just a runner. I thought, hey, um, why not explore triathlon? Um, and so I, as a brand new freshman at West Point, that's when I found Jesus and really changed my world, flipped it upside down from stop obsessing so much about food and more thinking about performance. And so it brought me out of just thinking um, about running and more about how to fuel my body for endurance events that I could keep going and sustain um, fitness and have muscle and other areas besides just legs. So I think it was really healthy for me to transition as well from being just a runner to focus on triathlon. And that's where I found my groove after lots and lots of struggle and failure um got pulled off my first bike race actually because I was lapped by the the lead elite cyclist and considered um considered a a danger and a hazard to all the other cyclists on the field so I was pulled off of my first bike race and um but yeah I just kept plugging away I got a lot of help from the best coaches that I could find sought out everybody who could teach me something um I was just like pour into me give me your wisdom and a lot of amazing folks did. They really poured into me and shared with me what they've learned over the years. And that definitely helped me shape who I am today as far as learning from others who've been there before in order to save yourself time and getting there yourself. So let's walk back to, you mentioned the eating disorder and being in and mm-hmm. out of hospitals and the feeding tube. Yeah. Did this start in high school? This did, yeah. And it was it was partly coping through um, some medical issues that my mom was having that was really scary. She raised me as a single mom, me and my brother, her whole life. And then having the fear that my mom could die and I, you know, there's nobody else to go to. Mm-hmm. So it was a really scary time. And I think um, just a, a very unhealthy way of coping and trying to grip onto control in sport and running to try to just be the best runner and just think about that, which is extremely selfish of me. Um, that I can see now, but at the time it was just an obsession with being lean, being thin, and denying that I even had a problem with food. When really it was an obsession with thinking about food all the time and trying not to eat as much as my body needed. Well, if you were on a feeding tube, it must have been extremely severe. Yeah, it got it got severe. Yeah, to the point where I was hospitalized um, in inpatient care, outpatient care. Yeah, it was really bad. It was a really low time in my life. Yeah, I mean, I know that eating disorders are super prevalent in the running community and especially with young girls. And I I just always wonder, like you said you found Jesus, so your faith you came to your faith in college and and that helped you through it. Um what about that made made it possible for you to see a different way? 
That's a great question, I think, because when I was in the in the lowest point of my eating disorder, which is a cycle, you know, that you think you're getting better and then you're not. Um, I felt like I would always be obsessed with food about planning that next meal, figuring out what I wouldn't eat at a restaurant or what were safe foods or off limits foods. I thought I could never break free of that cycle. And that's just a lie, you know, that I think the devil wants you to believe, but it's not the truth. And literally, um, as I just gave myself up to God and was like, please heal me because I can't heal myself. Doctors haven't healed me, you know incredible, incredible doctors who were doing amazing things. They couldn't change what was wrong in my mind and my visual image of myself. So I literally, I literally know it was God that changed me because I couldn't change myself and professionals weren't able to um, get rid of this disorder that was just controlling my life and bringing me down, um, even while I was in denial that I had a problem. So I'm really grateful for for that change um, earlier because I can imagine today, definitely not in a good spot if um if that didn't change. And then how did that happen? Who was there a key person in your life that did someone take you to church? What did that look like? That was, um, actually a way of me getting out of some mandatory training at West Point. So you had the (laughs) option to either, you had the option to either like stay and do these drills or, you know, the church kids could go to church. And I was like, well, I'm not a church kid, but Someone invited me and I'll just go with them. It'll be fine. I'll sing the songs, you know, I'll just join in if I don't like it, whatever. At least it's getting me away from these people who are yelling at me and <laughs> making me do all these military drills that I didn't want to be doing at the time. And so I thought it might be a restful scenario where I could sit down for a minute and <laughs> catch my breath. And um, so, yeah, that's that was me. That's how I got out of it. Um, and then I didn't realize what, it, what would actually be poured into me. Um, it actually brought me to tears. And I was like, wow, this, this is what I'm missing. Like God is trying to reach me and I have been unreachable. I've put up this wall where I felt like I didn't need anybody. I didn't need, I didn't need any, nothing could help me, I thought. And suddenly it was like that wall was just being torn away. And it was extremely emotional um, to cry there. I felt almost embarrassed because I was at a military academy. But um, at the same time, I was like, no, this is like change is happening. Change is stirring in me right now. And um, I feel like I was broken at that point, but in a really good way to break in order to become somebody new. So did you ever go to church growing up? I wonder because, you know, I feel like the first time you go to a church setting or something like that, sometimes like the music and the scene can feel almost like cultish and weird. I grew up in a evangelical Uh church, so nothing like that has ever been foreign to me. Um, But looking back, I'm like, man, my friends that I went, that I would like bring along to church with me sometimes probably thought this felt really weird. Yeah, (laughs) I can relate to that. I was, um, I was sent to a a Catholic school when I was really little, and it was extremely, um, the church services that they brought us to as little kids was extremely formal Mm -hmm. and um, very, very ritualistic. And a lot of the rituals I didn't understand and maybe wasn't taught completely or just wasn't at the age where I had the capacity to fully understand what was going on. Um, But for whatever reason, I think negative impacts from what... um, what other adults in my life had to say about church, it left a sour feeling in me. It left me um, turned away from wanting a relationship with God. I didn't even know what that was. I think I was just turned away from religion, not even understanding a relationship with God and what that meant yet. 
Um, so yes, I had been exposed to church, but it wasn't, it wasn't backed up at home and it wasn't in a, in a positive way that was reinforced. Okay. So when you start dating your husband, is he a Christian? What's, what's that like with your relationship? Yeah, he, he is. And he definitely helped me, helped me grow for the better to be more of the person that I wanted to be. So would you say, I always feel like this is a slippery slope and I don't know cause I've never experienced an eating disorder, like on the front lines, meaning like, yeah, I've had times where I'm like, have some issues with my head with eating certain foods, but I've never really battled with an eating disorder. And I wonder, can you fully recover? Are you fully recovered? Yeah, I, I sincerely am fully recovered now. Now, if you asked me that maybe eight years ago, I would have been like, no, I still have these issues with foods, you know, that I'd say like, oh, I can't have chips because if I eat them, I won't be able to stop. Or I can't have donuts. If I do, I'll always think about it. So I had these rules that were completely made up, right, in my own head that I had stuck to for so many years that they became rules of what I was allowed to have, what were safe and wouldn't make me gain weight, and what were not safe foods. And now I literally eat everything. Um, I eat everything. I I do probably have a little bit higher metabolism than most women. And... um, I don't have any guilt surrounding food anymore. I don't worry when we go out to a restaurant what's on the menu or what's not. I definitely try to nourish my body still because I love my body and want to take care of myself and care about my performance. But it's not out of it's not out of fear or guilt or dread or um, worrying about weight gain. I don't even weigh myself anymore. Probably maybe every two months I weigh myself out of just curiosity to kind of make sure I'm maintaining. But I used to always step on the scale every Monday or every morning and it, I would think about it all day and the numbers would make or break my day. I'd be like, good days, I'm lean or bad days, I'd gained a pound. And so I don't even remember. It's not even that I try not to. I don't even, I don't even think about stepping on the scale anymore, which is pretty life changing compared to where I used to be at. Okay, so let's share a message with anybody that's struggling with that. I know that you know, people struggle with this their entire lives. And I know there's definitely some younger women too that listen to this show. So what would be your message to that person? Um, something that if you are a believer, I do hope you would leave on lean on God. And if you're not there yet, then I really encourage you to think about your performance and focus on your performance and whether that's endurance or your strength or your speed, maybe your flexibility or mobility, and focus on improving what your body can do and fuel your body in order to reach that because your body your body needs fuel. And when you when you focus on what you're, how you're performing and what your output is, reach your goals, your confidence, and your aesthetics, a healthy body will follow. If you're, if you're taking care of yourself, um, your, your healthy body will follow. Now, that looks different on everyone. Everyone's at a different ideal weight where they feel happy, where you're not constantly thinking about food because food should not be the center point of your mind because, honestly, that's just wasted brain space. You have so much more brain that you can be pouring into other great things to serve others or to just be in your purpose, whatever that is, in your job or as a mother, as a runner, whatever your purpose is, to really be living that out. Um and so, yeah, really, really changing that mindset to how I look or, or trying to just be the fastest to how can I just be all around more fit and healthier in the way I perform? Yeah, that's a really good perspective. And honestly, I do think a lot of the problem ends up being 
Um, you think you can run faster if you're lighter and, um, Mm -hmm. it's just mixed messaging that unfortunately a lot of young women heard from coaches along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Going back to college, we kind of skimmed over the triathlon bit and you mentioned that you got pulled off the course because you were, you know, lapped by the elite, the top elite (laughs) field and you were a hazard to them. But let's talk about your progression there because you ended up competing pretty well. What happened next? Um, yeah, so it did It did end up going well. I ended up um, doing well at nationals. I think I, I placed in the top 10 at my first nationals. And then I got third place in, a, in the World Triathlon Championship for age group in Hamburg, Germany. That's crazy. And then went on to compete. Um, yeah, at other a couple other world championships, and then my second world championship, the other girl and I, we were neck and neck in the last 10k of the race, and the women start before the men in the um, in the half Ironman championship, and we both took a wrong turn. So ultimately, we missed about a half of mile on that course, and when we finished, we knew our time was off. We talked to the um, the person in charge and we both had an honest DQ. So the number third woman ended up winning that race. And that was soul crushing to know that I would have gotten first or second, whoever had the most on that day and, um, to come back from that. And so then again, I raced another half Ironman world championship and that was actually in our country. So I was in Clearwater, Florida in the United States and won that. Um, so that was my, when I was 22 and then earned by winning that half iron world championship for um, age group. So for women 22 and under, I was able to earn my professional license for Team USA. So I did that for about a half a year before I really entered the army and became a platoon leader. Okay. Wow. That's such an interesting process there. Tell me again what happened. You had an honest DQ. What does that mean? Yeah. So I mean, meaning we didn't mean to take a wrong turn. We were the first two women. Yeah. We took a wrong turn. So ultimately it cut the, the run course short. Nobody was there to say, take a left, take a left. And we were just trying to blaze through that. Absolutely exhausted. You know, a couple hours into this race, we both, um, went straight when we were supposed to turn. So it made the course just slightly short. So we didn't run that full 13.1 miles for the end of the race. Um, and so, you know, we were the ones, something must be wrong here. And yeah, it was in fact wrong. We hadn't run the course correctly. Oh, wow. That, uh, that had to be heartbreaking. Okay. So you compete as a pro for about a year and then you, mm-hmm. you actually get deployed next. Yeah. Yeah. The army gave me a choice. They were saying, Hey, you can, we're willing to sponsor you to go to the Olympic training center out in Colorado train there, try to get enough points in order to make the Olympic trials or go be a platoon leader, (laughs) (laughs) which is what West Point grooms is completely army officers. And I I chose the platoon leader route in order to be stationed with my husband and to actually give us a future. Otherwise, we would have been stationed across the country from each other all the way from Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And I would have been out in Colorado. So I did decide to go go the army route and completely just commit myself to that and yep deployed to Afghanistan um and served on a really interesting deployment doing night raids um of high value targets and my role was not to raid the house 
but my role was with one other woman and we did the the searching which is just pat downs of all the women and children on targets and usually there were a lot <laughs> i'm talking like 12 or 22 a lot of women and kids live in one house of all generations and babies and then talking to them to help identify who the actual bad guy is that we can um, take the actual bad guy off of the target and and further interrogate him um, versus you know trying to take everybody off and ruin everyone's life is just getting the one person that was really bad that we came for. So that was my role um, during that deployment. Wow. Was your husband over there at the same time? He was there in a different part of Afghanistan, yes. Were you scared? Sometimes I was, but I think you just um, kind of like running. You just put one foot in front of the other. We always had to hike in to our um, location. So a helicopter would drop us off in the middle of nowhere and it would be dark out and we'd have um, night vision goggles and you just follow the person in front of you. Of course, I was never the one in lead doing the routing. So I just follow the person in front of me um, and trust in my training. I knew what to do. And had trained this so many times that you just kind of react. And I was grateful for my background in running because it was definitely physically daunting and challenging for me sometimes to keep up on mountainous terrain with a bunch of men who are extremely fit and just trying to, like, I couldn't be the weak link, you know? So it's like, you just, you can't complain. You're sweating. You have to pee. You know, you just keep going (laughs) and um, not let anyone know that, you know, you are struggling a little bit. Um, to breathe at altitude and all of those things. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, eight years later, three kids, you're home with them. You're you're doing um, all these online courses, and we'll talk about those in a little bit. But do you look back ever and think, I can't believe I did that? Or does it still feel super fresh to you? Um, I guess I just picture it as a different chapter in our lives. Like, we all, all go through different jobs, and that was just my previous job. And... I liked it. Um, it wouldn't be the best fit for me right now, right? As a mom of three, um, with, with my, my current, my current business and everything. But yeah, I just think of it as a different chapter. It's still, still part of who I am. And, um, I'm just a little different now. I just, for the rest of us who have never experienced something like that, um, or, you know, I don't think I would have even ever considered that path. Like it seems so foreign to me and it just seems so like, I mean, next level, badass kind of situation. I just, I can't imagine putting myself in that situation. Like I would be so scared. So I just, I look at you as this um, very brave human being, I guess is what I'm saying. Oh, I don't think I'm any braver than you. You know, I just felt like this is what I was trained to do and I was just doing my job. Yeah. Hey, everybody. I'm jumping in real quick to thank a sponsor for supporting this podcast. Sponsors make this show possible. And I want to thank Prevenex for supporting the show. This is my favorite product when it comes to multivitamins, joint health, protein powder, kids vitamins. They have it all. And I use it every single day. My kids take the vitamins every single day. Their supplements are clinically proven to work. The Joint Health Plus specifically is great for runners because it is clinically proven to reduce joint pain and stiffness and improve your joint flexibility. That is something all of us runners want. One of my favorite products is the Nurify Plus Vegan Protein Shake. I make smoothies with these 
And what I do for some of my kids is I sneak those children's Supervite multivitamins into their smoothies. So they're getting a packed smoothie with all kinds of good stuff. It's kind of funny because two of my kids will eat those things like candy, the Supervites, and two of them want them mixed in the smoothie. So good stuff. And when you support sponsors of this podcast, you are supporting the show. So I thank you very much for that. And you will not be disappointed. The results on how you feel will speak for themselves. Go to Prevenex.com. Use the code ANOTHER for 15% off your first order. All right, friends. And don't forget to check out the other two shows in the Sandy Boy Productions podcast network. The Up and Running podcast hosted by my friend Lauren Flores and Abby Stanley. They are bringing you up to date on all the news in elite and professional distance running. They have interview episodes. They have episodes where they are just bringing you the straight up news in the running world. And these ladies are doing a fabulous job with that. That's the Up and Running podcast. And then the Illuminate podcast is a podcast I co-host with a couple of my friends. And we are just bringing good stories to the world. People doing awesome work in the world, organizations doing cool stuff. And this week, we're putting an episode out with Demi Clark, who is the founder and CEO of She Built This City. Google that. It's exciting. It's a great episode, a great organization, and I'm excited for you guys to listen to it. All right. Enjoy the rest of my conversation with Ashley Keller. Let's talk about now, the here and the now. So you mm-hmm. after, after deployment, are you, you deploy one time and then you come back and start having babies? What does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, pretty much about, um, I don't know, half a year later or a year later. Um, decided to get pregnant and have my first baby. Okay. And then when did you decide to start your, your online business, your glow body PT? So during that pregnancy, I was, um, still in the army and, uh, I didn't decide to start a business. I just decided to start a free YouTube channel. Um, just kind of like how you start your podcast. You're like, Hey, I'm just going to start this for free and give women what, what you wanted, right? Like you just wanted to listen to this podcast yourself. Just like I wanted a running podcast. Um, and so I just want to give women for free what I couldn't find online. And that was challenging prenatal workouts that were actually safe. Mm. And so I just started recording while I was um, still in the army. I changed into my out of my army combat uniform, put on a workout a workout outfit and recorded over my lunch break and then hurry back to work, wash off mascara off my face and then <laughs> go go back to my work day. And it's just a way to serve others, hoping that there might be a few like-minded women out there who really wanted some short, intense workouts that got the job done that weren't just breathing and stretching and yoga during pregnancy for women who wanted to push hard but be smart and efficient and safe about it. So was your undergrad, what was your undergrad in? It was not related. It's um, human geography of Middle East and Africa. Yeah. Okay. So so how did you get get into this? Like what was the uh, process there? I think just a love of fitness. Like I have loved running, loved triathlon. I didn't have the time anymore as as a, an active duty army woman. I didn't have the time to be training 14 hours a week like I did when I was really racing hard for triathlon. So I knew I needed more efficiency in my life because that time wouldn't exist. It definitely wouldn't exist when I became a mom. I knew that. And so short, efficient at-home workouts were we're the only way to get it done. Um, and I thought some other women out there might might benefit too or might be able to use them. 
in order to get results faster. Okay, so this starts when you're pregnant with your first, you're still working in the Army, and then what happens? And how does it expand? And what do you learn postpartum? I know that a lot of people jump back into workouts and not taking into consideration the damage of their pelvic floor after baby. So how did you learn along the way, and what were your next steps to really starting this business? I think I'm a little bit of a nerd at heart and that I like to read journal articles. I love research and I wanted to really learn what worked on the postpartum body. So when, when our babies grow bellies, absolutely amazing, but they stretch along the center line, along the linea alba, which causes the rectus abdominis muscles to spread apart. And it's called diastasis recti. Once that gap between the front, like the six pack part of your abs, once that spreads apart, more than two finger widths, which happens to 99% of women during third trimester, sometimes during second trimester, you have to heal it postpartum. And some lucky women out there, it heals naturally. But for the most of us, um, a good 65, 70% of women, it doesn't heal naturally. And that gap will stay there. And no matter how many planks or sit-ups or crunches that women do with best intentions to flatten their stomach and feel like themselves against, again, postpartum, it will um, lead to what looks like a mummy tummy pooch, no matter how lean and how much body fat you lose. So it's really frustrating to women who are trying to get fit. So I poured myself into learning what are the absolute best exercises postpartum and what is the best, most effective order in order to apply the principles of progression in order to avoid plateaus and get women results. And, um, yeah, so I did that for myself and then decided to host a group of 50 trial group ladies on YouTube that I offered it to. So threw it out there to motivated women and, um, they signed up for it. And then I carefully monitored all of their progress, their, their feedback, women's cesarean section, five babies, one baby, vaginal deliveries, the whole gamut, all different size women. And then was able to refine that plan to make it the the absolute best outcome for all types of deliveries and for healing diastasis recti in the pelvic floor postpartum. So women can get back to running or lifting or whatever their sport is or whatever their training style is postpartum after they've healed themselves. What do you think some of the biggest uh, mistakes people make postpartum as far as coming back to fitness? The biggest mistake is is jumping into whatever you're doing postpartum without any repair, mm. because it's like having, um, it's like having a big bowling ball in in your stomach, like leaning on this delicate hammock, and if the bowling ball you know pounds down too much on that hammock because it's very heavy, whether you deliver vaginally or via cesarean section, it's it's like that hammock gets wet. Um, like a paper bag. And if you're not, if you're not actively trying to repair that, you can end up with a lot of problems once you start running or jumping or doing um, jackknife sit-ups, for example, or trying to do um, any type of plyometric move is probably going to lead to, to some significant issues. So it's just respecting that there's a healing process postpartum, no matter how you delivered, so that you can get back to just feeling like yourself faster and being able to do whatever you want sooner. I, I know in the running community, I think we see this more often with first babies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'll say it myself, I definitely was running too soon, too fast, too much 
after my first baby. And with each baby, I got a little bit smarter. And maybe it's just that I had a little bit less time on my hands <laughs> as well, you know, because the more babies yeah. you add, the more hectic it gets with time and whatnot. But um, yeah, I just think that there's this internal pressure more than external even to get back to where you were and to just make it happen. And I always like really uh, commend the moms, especially after that first baby who come back and say, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to get my body time to heal because it's hard to do because when you're dealing with all these postpartum emotions and hormones, sometimes just getting back to where you are is what you think will make you feel the most normal. So it's this like really challenging topic really. Totally. Yeah. I think it like exercise for us runners, it gives us a sense of sanity (laughs) and happiness, you know, like feeling like ourself again. And I think some sort of exercise. Yeah. Like you, you need to be doing something. Maybe it's not running really fast, you know, racing, racing a couple months postpartum might not be the best idea for the majority of us. Yeah. Um, but having, having a plan and structure, I think takes away that stress and that feeling of like not knowing if you can get back to where you were before, if you can be as faster, fast as you were before, honestly, you can probably be faster (laughs) postpartum, um, with the way our blood oxygenates itself during pregnancy gives us actually a little bit of advantage as mothers to be more efficient. Um, but yeah, in those first, first weeks postpartum, it's really stressful feeling like we've kind of lost who we are a little bit. I can completely relate to that. So a lot of your plans, I know focus on like efficiency. A lot of moms are super busy. Um, talk to us a little bit about that 12 week post-pregnancy plan and what that looks like for those who might be interested in checking it out. Sure. It, um, it's three phases and phase one, we're just waking up your metabolism and restoring strength all over because carrying a car seat makes you bend kind of funny. It bangs against your thigh, lifting babies in and out. It's all is we have everyday movements, functional movements that can compromise your core. So it's building a body that can sustain that and get really fit and strong again, but doing so in a progressive way. So it's definitely not easy. And the reason I designed it is not because, oh, Ashley Keller just wanted to make this postpartum plan. It's because women who did my free prenatal um, training schedule on YouTube, which takes people from week by week, day by day, through each trimester of pregnancy, giving you pregnancy safe um, workouts. It's all for free. They literally demanded that I make a postpartum <laughs> plan. So um, that's why I made it. And um, that's why I use it myself because I know it works and it gets me back into running too in a safe way. So during phase two, we actually start running again. And phase three, we run a little bit more. And then after phase three, a lot of women keep using the workouts again. They'll go back and um, use phase two and phase three workouts and then use it. Um, in addition to their their running schedule as they keep progressing forward. How did you come up with all the workouts? Um, trial and error, like I said on myself, and then that research that I put in during my first and second pregnancy and got certified, of course, as a pre- and postnatal trainer and a certified personal trainer and just seeing what works on myself. I'm always trying new moves and figuring out what's effective and what's not so that I don't waste anybody's time. Yeah. So your what your YouTube page has the free prenatal videos leading from when you mm-hmm. find out you're pregnant all the way through the end of your pregnancy. 
Yeah. So glowbodypt.com, glowbodypt, it stands for personal training, um, but it's all one word. And that's where you can snag. It's totally free. The free prenatal training schedule that takes you through your entire pregnancy to take the guesswork out. Um, and then I'm also doing another, I'm doing a free plan right now while everyone's quarantined. Oh, seriously. (laughs) Yeah. It's another, um, at home plan and it's called, um, 21 day, eight minute workout challenge. So every workout is eight minutes and I usually give you two to three per day and it's a click and go calendar. You can just click on it. It takes you to your YouTube workout. They're eight minutes long each. And it's a great way to for me to stay strong while I'm still running. So I'm also half marathon training right now. So it's workouts that don't take a lot of time, but help keep me injury proof and strong so that, um, yeah, not, not ending up injured. Okay. So they're eight minute videos, but you yeah. do two to three a day. Exactly. For 21 yep. days. Yep. And it's scheduled up for you. So you just like save it to your phone. I like to save mine to my phone's home screen or to my computer's desktop and you can just click the workout and it takes you directly to your workout. So you mean save it from YouTube or what? Save it from my website. It'll get emailed to you at glowbodypt.com. It gets emailed to you and then you can instantly download it to your phone, your laptop, wherever, iPad. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you mentioned you were half marathon training and I know that your half marathon got canceled, but I noticed that you had posted that you were trying to beat your 22 year old self PR. So <laughs> what was that PR? That was, um, during a half Ironman, I've only raced three half marathons in my life. I tend to do, um, other distances, but now I'm going back to the half and that was a 128 during a half Ironman. So I'd wow. like to beat that now. Um, yes, we'll see, but a different level and intense, different amount of time that I'm putting into training, right? Compared to single, no kids, Ashley, to three kids, um, often running the house on my own, Ashley. Man, you've run a 128 and a half. I mean, I guess if you had your pro card, I assume you're running pretty fast, but that's really fast <laughs> in a half Ironman. A lot of other faster women out there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So do you, what are you going to do now? Cause are you, when, when was your half? It was supposed to be this past Sunday and yeah, I decided to train through. So, um, it wasn't a long training block. It was in seven week training blocks. So it's not, I'm not at the point where I'm at like 16 or 20 weeks of heavy training. If I were, I'd say, Hey, let's lay off and take a break, but I'm going to just train through and hopefully shoot for one early this summer. Okay. So you'd like finished out your training. You're just going to keep on going. What, yeah. how many like weekly mile, miles were you running leading, leading up to it? I know you're still mm. doing all your at home strength stuff as well. Yeah. About, um, 20, 25 to 30 max. Okay. Nice. And what kind of, um, what kind of workouts were you doing? How many days a week were you running? So I start, I would start with base training and, uh, once I get into regular, regular mileage, uh, or regular, like harder training, I'm only running three days a week, once in a while, four days a week, but I just don't usually have time for it. So I put in, um, at least one really harder workout per week. Um, like this week I did a three miles hard with three and a half minute recovery and then two miles hard with three minutes recovery and then one mile hard with about one minute recovery, a little bit of jogging and then a half mile hard. And that was with a a warm up of a mile and a cool down of a mile. So that's my good quality 
workout for the week. And then, of course, I'll have my long run and then an aerobic, easier run just to get into mileage. And for your long run, since you're only running three max four days a week, do you do Mm -hmm. faster pace miles in that or do you just run easy? I run up moderate. So ideally, it would be easy. It depends on childcare of that day. (laughs) But um, but easy to moderate is definitely the goal so that I can prevent injuries. And I'm always trying to run on trail versus concrete or asphalt. So I will take a slower time running on compact trail versus trying to put in too much mileage on on concrete and end up with an overuse injury. It's a really, like relaxed approach to training for a very fast half marathon that makes it feel less intimidating, I think would be how I'm feeling when I hear you talk about it. Oh, that makes me happy. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think that people overthink how much they need to be running. You know what I mean? Like I think people think Uh they need to run more than they do. Um, But if you're getting those quality sessions in and you're also doing all the other work outside of the running, you're probably going to be a healthier runner. Yeah. And some women, you know, like you've talked, we've listened to tons on here and they can put in the mileage. They can put in 90 miles a week, 100 miles a week, more than that. You know, I know Steph was running over 100, um, but but not everyone can do that without getting injured. So I feel like 30 is about my sweet spot where I can run, run quick for the amount of mileage that I'm actually putting in. Yeah, you know, if I ever train for a marathon, like a full marathon hard again, which I say if, but I know I will. Yeah. Um, I feel like 60 is really my max, and but 40 is like where my body is happiest. Like 40 okay. is where I feel like I'm working hard, but I'm not overdoing it, uh, but I'm running enough, you know? And so, yeah. I yeah, it's it's a... It's a weird thing, like the how many miles a week you run, because people oftentimes will fall into that comparison trap of like, oh, she's running a 305 marathon and she's doing 70 miles a week. Maybe if I do 10 more miles a week, I can get faster. But um, we're also individual. And I think that a lot of people probably need to do a lot more strength training. Yeah. Do you have a race that you um, that is still on your calendar or have yours all been wiped out right now? Oh, yeah. No, everything's been wiped out. I um. I actually had two events I was going to 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 do live podcasts at. Um, one this coming weekend. I was going to be leaving Thursday to go to Santa Cruz, California uh, for the run. She is beautiful. So I was going to do a live podcast there and then race their 10K um, the next day. Aww. I know. And then I I'm also... So sorry. <laughs> I know. It's okay. There are people in way worse situations than me, but yeah. I... I was also going out to Cherry Blossom to do a live podcast. And then I was, you know, since I'm already going for the, for work, I'm like, I might as well run the races. And so, um, I've never raced a 10 miler. So I was going to race the Cherry Blossom 10 miler. Oh, I know. Man. <laughs> and I'm then sorry. I was going to do, I have another event with the mini marathon here in Indianapolis, which they, they haven't called it yet, but they're going to, because it's within that eight weeks that the CDC put out like no gatherings yep. of 50 or more. Um, so I was going to race the, the mini and I think I was teeing myself up to possibly run a PR. So yeah, they're oh, all gone. I know. You can relate. Yeah. Completely. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been super lax about things, but I've just been sort of like sprinkling in some speed and like mm-hmm. last week I ran 40 miles, you know, I've been like getting my miles back up. I did a half in February and I kind of took some time off after that and then I've been ramping back up. So, um, 
yeah, I mean, everything's wiped, but uh, I do, I do think this fall I'll probably, I'll probably get some races on the calendar and very casually while working pretty hard at the same time, um, try to knock some times down. I like to like, I don't want to overthink it and I don't want to make it some big thing, um, because that stresses me out, you know, but I do still want to run fast. Yeah. I completely understand that. Yeah. You don't have the pressure there of a certain time or expectation. So yeah, I get that. But knowing that if you put the work at it out, if you put the work in, you know, results will come. Absolutely. Yeah. You nailed it when you say that you put it in, you'll show up and be able to run. Well, one other thing I wanted to talk to you about before we head to the end of the podcast questions was, um, we kind of mentioned it at the, at the beginning of the episode, but, uh, that first time that we were possibly going to do an interview when Claire Dietrich had connected me with you and you just had that awful bike accident. And I, yeah. like that was just crazy what you went through. So can you just kind of explain that time in your life to everybody and what actually happened? I was racing half Ironman, which I hadn't done for years um, since I became a mother. So for me, it felt like a big personal goal. And I know anyone who's had kids can understand that saying it's like the before kids you and then the after kids you going back to do a race you hadn't done for a long time. So I really trained up for that during one of my husband's deployments and um, showed up to the starting line feeling like I wanted to go for the podium. And I was scared to say that and do it. But I was like, hey, I'm just going to leave it all out here. I won't be racing like this again because I wanted had plans to try to get pregnant again soon. So I knew this was my chance. Um, go out, um, go out and do the best I can. Um, and I was just a couple miles into the first bike, had a solid swim, and myself and the top. It ended up being three other women. We all crashed on a metal graded bridge that was arching over the ocean water where condensation had come up and had gotten the bridge quite wet. And so it was sharp and volunteers after we went through, you know, they're yelling, slow down, slow down. But we had just come on that bridge at a blistering speed and it was just so slippery. None of us crashed into each other. It was it was just that we couldn't control our the narrow knobby tires on our on our bikes enough to go straight and not crash. So we were all ambulance off. Two ambulance came on the scene right away and took the four of us off to the hospital. And due to HIPAA and protocol, I asked how the other women were doing and the hospital staff weren't legally allowed to tell me. I didn't know any of the other women, but just wanted to make sure they're okay. So I never found out like, how did they fare during, during their own unique bike crashes. Um, but but it, but it was bad. I lost all, all of my front top teeth, were knocked out, um, broke broke my elbow, wrist was casted, you know, palms split open on each side, completely bloodied, so that I couldn't use my hands. And um, yeah, it was one of the scariest days of my life to be sitting on the side of the bridge, just bleeding and knowing that my face got wrecked, <laughs> chin split open, lips split open. It was messy. Did you were you in so much shock? Like how badly, like was, were things numb? Like how badly were, was that feeling in the moment? Um, I think it was physical shock. It wasn't mental or emotional. I don't, I don't really feel a lot of, I don't really feel anxiety or anything like that, but I, my body was going through shock and then it got very cold. My, my heart rate went down, um, into the twenties on the ambulance 
And that was after racing, you know, so having been in the hundreds at, at right. a really like going all out and dropping so rapidly into the 20s, just my body going through some physical shock. Um, but it was more just disappointed and being like, great, now I have no front teeth mm. and my face is split open. And I knew at that point, I knew my elbow was broken. Um, no bone was protruding, but <laughs> anyone who's gotten really hurt before, you kind of know when you have a broken bone. So I knew that that would need some care along with my wrist. Was your husband at the race or was he deployed? He was, he was in Arizona. He was doing training. So across the country. Okay. And then who had your kids or your, well, it was before, right before you got pregnant with number three, right? Yes. So uh, one of my, one of my best girlfriends was at home watching my kids and she was staying with them. Um, what was, was supposed to be for a day, but ended up being a, a night or two. So then is she, who's notified that what happened? Your husband, your friend? Yeah, my husband. I was able to use a stranger's phone and, and call him. And then I told him to call, call one of my friends, the friend that was watching the boys and, and let her know that I would need her to stay longer. And, you know, would, would eventually get hold of her when I got my phone back. Just out there racing a half, half Ironman on your own and your kids yep. are with your friend and your husband's across the country. Was yep. he able to come home or no? So this is a big mistake I made, Lindsay. So, you know, when you're just trying to be strong and in the moment. So I'm sitting on the side of the bridge crying. He said, hey, do you need me to come? And where he was at was very important for him. So it was a long-term goal, um, the school that he was going through for him to pass. And so I said, no, babe don't come home. Like I'll call my mom and she'll come. She'll drive up from Florida. You know, she'll drive 11 hours and be here for me. Like you just stay there. I'll be just fine. But at, at the time, um, I didn't realize the extent of how bad this would be and what the recovery would actually look like. So I needed my, my tribe of girlfriends in my neighborhood. They were like washing my hair, helping me shower, making meals because I couldn't do the things that I needed to do on my own anymore. So before my mom was able to arrive, my four-year-old is helping me continue to potty train the two-year-old, um, or my not even two-year-old, <laughs> um, because I just, I didn't have hands that could help lift him out of his crib or put him on the potty. So it was really challenging. And that turned into, um, you know, me saying like, why aren't you here? And my husband having to say, you told me not to come, you know, <laughs> and me being like, I didn't mean it. I didn't know. So an emotional, like, hey, I wish you were here. But it was me being so strong, saying like, no, I'm fine, and him not realizing how bad it really was either at the time. Taking care of two little kids with your husband gone is really challenging without physical <laughs> impairments, <laughs> honestly. So I I mean, I don't even speak from experience because the most my husband's ever been gone is like two, three nights. Um, <laughs> so I can't really even imagine what that was like. How did you get him out of his crib? Um, so he stood up in his crib because he was, like I said, almost two, about a month under two. And I was able to like link my arms, my biceps underneath his armpits and just pull him out. And then I put him back in that same way. Oh, my gosh. And so then how long was it until your husband, you did see, have him back? He was home in about 10 days. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I, I don't even, I can't even imagine. So how did you repair your teeth? Do you have just veneers or what is that? Or fake teeth? What is that like? Yeah, I do. It's, um, it took about a year. It was an awful process. Oh, so I had gosh. no front teeth for a month. I went trick or treating with the kids with no front teeth. Like I just had to <laughs> lose all of my pride and be like, okay, I'm gonna look like this for a month. Like this, you know, they don't care. They still love you. You're still mom, whether you have cellulite or no teeth or, you yeah. know, they love you no matter what. But um, it took about a month to get par 
temporary teeth. And then after about a year, I had this major surgery in which they, they drill into your bones basically Oof. to give you, um, give you a bridge, a front teeth. They look great now. I'm happy with it. The scars healed well. I opted not to do plastic surgery. I think the skin healed well enough. Um, then I feel comfortable and confident in who I am. Some of my glow body PT girls, they joke, if anything's wrong, they say, keep your scarred chin up, buttercup. <laughs> <laughs> And I love that. It's just, you know, it's just part of who I am now. So the ma- the major part of your scar is on your chin? It is, yeah. And you can only see it in certain lighting. And most people probably wouldn't even notice it. I know it's there because it's me, but it's it's really faded a lot. Wow. What did you learn from that experience? Mm, just, I think the lesson to teach my kids that bad things will happen to you that you can't control and um, you can have two choices. You can just be done and not do hard things and never go out of your comfort zone or you can get bandaged up, heal up and um, just do what you want to do. Like live the life you want while you're here because you only get one shot at this life. And I hope that my kids learned through that experience that, yeah, you can get hurt. You're going to have bad times, but you can get back up and and love the life that you want to live, even if bad things could happen. Yeah. Did it scare you to ride the bike again? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't ride the bike again for like a year and a half, two years. And my husband went with me on that first ride again. And I was, I, I've never felt really scared about things or nervous, but I did definitely had to coach myself mentally to try to control my breathing and just coach myself to be calm. Um, that just because something happened before doesn't mean that it'll happen again. And to regain that just enjoyment of being on the bike and even running, being a little bit more fearful of like, hey, I could get hit by a car or I could trip over something and get hurt. Just being more conscious, but not letting fear control me or, you know, bring down my life. So did you ever Google what happened to the other girls? Um, yes, one of them, she really got she messed up her knee and the other ones, they didn't have anything serious that I could, like, I didn't find anything about them. So, um, yeah, that's all I know. Everyone lived, nobody, nobody died or anything, but, um, but it was traumatic for, for each of us. Oh, 100%. And I mean, I don't know if this is like too emotional to say, but I mean, one of, I've had a guest on this podcast, Mary Catherine Hammond, her husband died in a bike crash on a charity ride, you know? So like, I mean, it's, it's so serious and it's, it's so scary. So it's like, man, thank God you're still here. Yeah. I feel the same way. Thank God I'm still here. Did I take that to way too deep of a level? That's no, that's what I I was thinking about. about. Yeah. It's something everybody thinks about. Like I could have died or one of those other women could have died, Yeah, but it, you know, God's not done with us yet. We're still here. So there's still a mission and purpose for us. Yeah. I was, when you were explaining the crash, I was like, man, that could have been even Mm -hmm. uglier, even uglier. Mm -hmm. Um, a note on Mary Catherine Ham, man, she was way early in this podcast. I don't know if anybody was listening back in the day, but, um, she just got remarried and yeah, I just saw that. And so, you know, her husband's been gone for three years now and, um, she, when he, when he passed away, she had two little girls and, um, the youngest was, you know, like probably 15 months or something. So maybe not even that old, but yeah, she's, she's got a new husband now and, and living a life of purpose and bad things happen, like you said, but your message that you had for your girls is just made me think of, of her moving on with her life and living that life of purpose too. 
So let's um, let's move on to end of the podcast questions. Okay. Ashley, what is one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? Ooh, personally, when our kids are in high school, we plan on going as a servant, as a family to countries like um, Syria or Iraq and serving in whatever capacity we can, just serving people who are refugees or displaced and whether it's in like a medical capacity or shelters or logistically. But I think Luke and I are both called to serve in places that are um, hostile environments. Neither of us get too stressed about things and we just have a heart to serve there. So yeah, we plan on involving the kids in that and it'll be for short periods of time, um, maybe a month or two over summer breaks. Not a place that we will live forever or move to. I think I'll always live in the United States, but really a big goal of mine is to do that. Um, do that serving, just no strings attached, just just loving on others when we um, when we have kids that are a bit older. So are you saying you wanted to bring your kids with or you guys go without your kids? Yes. Yep. We will bring them with. Okay. And then are you guys thinking you're done with three or do you have hopes to have more? Mm, my husband would really want more. He really? loves big families. He comes from a family of seven sisters, one brother. So wow. he comes from big families. Me, I'm like, okay, I'm pretty good at three right now. <laughs> I have not gotten rid of our baby stuff with my youngest being 50 months old. So I'm holding on to it. Like, I'm not totally made up my mind, but three is still a lot. Uh, maybe you can tell me, give me advice on that. Well, with, uh, I don't yours. know. I mean, when we had three, I, I held on to all my baby stuff. And when we okay. had our fourth, uh-huh. the second he grows out of anything, I'm getting rid of it. I'm like, so <laughs> I feel like it feels final. Whereas with three, I was like, I'm going to hold on to it just in case, you know? <laughs> I love you. You're scaring me. But yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's an honest, that's why I asked, honest feedback. And same with the maternity clothes. Like uh-huh. when I was down to like the last, when I knew it was going to be like no more than a week left of pregnancy, I was getting, yep. I was getting rid of maternity clothes. Whereas number three, I, I kept, I held on to them all. So I felt like I felt way more final with the number four, but, um, I was just saying this too. You hear a lot, like people say, Oh, you already, you have three. That's so chaotic. Like what's one more, but it's like, well, it's one more. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's a lot. It's another human. So, um, but I do think that, um, you know, either way, it's a beautiful thing and you can't go wrong, obviously. Yeah. So we'll, um, we'll wait and see. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that though. Professionally, um, this maybe sounds weird. I've always wanted to lead just a big um, group workout of just strong, motivated women who just want to work out in a big arena or grassy field together. And just there's something powerful with women coming together and all sweating together and working out hard. Um, I don't know if that'll ever be like at a race venue, like a pre-race venue or post-race, but that's something I'd love to do professionally, you know, someday. Just not anytime very soon because (laughs) none of those things are happening. (laughs) Not right now. Right. Someday down the road. Yeah. That's awesome. That's definitely a goal that you, I see you making happen for sure. (laughs) Thanks. Um, What is an accomplishment you're most proud of? Ooh, I don't know. I think I think I'm most proud of um, during the recordings and like development of each of the workout programs that I have. My husband was deployed for at least part of it, and um, it was 
very, I was very close to quitting all, all of them, you know, at some point or another, because it's, it's hard with children at home and trying to balance it all. But I'm just really proud of myself for not giving it up and keep doing it because it was more, it was more for them. It was more for just me to have these workout programs that help save me time and give me sanity so I can just click and go. But I knew that it would help other women too. And I really wanted to serve other women in that capacity. So I'm just glad that I didn't didn't quit while I was designing and filming and recording and editing those those plans. And what is the best most recent book you've read? Mm, it's called Becoming Mom Strong by I think her name's Heidi St. John. Okay. And it made me laugh, it made me smile, just gave me all the different feelings that I could relate to motherhood. So, that's why I liked it. Okay. And what is a nonprofit you like to support? Mm, save the storks. Oh. They do, yeah, they're, they're like vans slash buses that are around the United States, some in cities that are underprivileged and just give free ultrasounds to women who who need it, free STD testing. Um, yeah, just help serve women. And who's someone fun, motivating, or inspiring that you'd like to have coffee, tea, or cocktail with? Mm, this is a hard one. I'm thinking like Chrissy Wellington or Gwen Jorgensen. But uh, but it'd be it'd be hard. I feel like I'd love to meet a lot of a lot of runner or triathlete women and just chat about the sport and things that they've been through. And then, what is your one message to send to the world? Mm, that your body exactly how it is right now. Whether no matter what you've you've been through, whether you have stretch marks, um, cellulite scars, like I do. Um, it's perfectly made and it's been through a journey and that I really want you to be proud of where it's at and to love yourself, not in a way of like, Ooh, like self love, like soft like that, but no, like self love, like take care of your body, like push it to do the things you want to do, whether that's run faster or lift stronger, like eat healthy because you love your body. Um, not because you feel like you have to. I love that. Ashley, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. And I look forward to uh, your 21 day challenge. Yay. I'm so glad you're going to do it. I think you'll like it, Lindsay. And I've learned so much from you. So thank you so much for this podcast and your other podcast. I love that you have a whole production company. Oh, um, I've started to listen to those too, Illuminate. And yeah, I'm grateful for you. Oh, thank you so much. That's so kind of you. I really appreciate it. All right, friends, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks, Ashley, for coming on the show. You guys can find Ashley on Instagram. She's PT. Look up her website as well if you're interested in any of her pre- and postnatal plans. You can find me on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626. You can find me on Twitter at lindsayhine. And you can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine where we have a group as well. Make sure you check out our two sponsors for this episode, the 50 States Challenge. It's a virtual challenge. I'm going to be doing it. You can use the code Lindsay5 for $5 off your registration and check out Prevenex. Prevenex.com. Use the code another for 15% off your first order. Good quality vitamins and supplements and protein powder over there. All right, friends. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Ashley. Wasn't she wonderful? I'm going to be bringing another Everyday Athlete episode. I don't even know if I like calling it that, but that's what I'm saying right now. Um, a non-pro runner, I guess you would say. I'm going to be bringing you another one of those out soon. So stay tuned for that. Make sure you're subscribed to the show so you don't miss it. 
This Friday, I'm putting out an episode with Mary Kane. So that'll be exciting to hear her story on the podcast. All right, friends, thanks so much for being here. Have a really great rest of your day and we will see you Friday.